Welcome to the Policy Lowdown, the podcast from the Maryland Center on Economic Policy, offering straight talk on the policies that matter most to Maryland communities. I'm your host, Kevin Slayton. There's nothing more essential to our well-being than having a safe place to live. Yet we all know that this basic human need is out of reach for far too many Marylanders. From those who are sleeping in tents or cars to families that are stretching every penny to make ever-increasing rents and don't have enough left over for groceries, doctor's visits, and school supplies. Today, we'll be talking about the way Maryland policymakers are addressing housing needs all across the state and what more we can do to support our communities. I'm excited to have two fantastic and knowledgeable guests with me today to guide us on this look at the housing landscape in Maryland. Claudia Wilson-Randall, the Executive Director for the Community Development Network of Maryland, and my colleague, Tanika Richardson, a policy analyst with the Maryland Center on Economic Policy, who focuses on housing policy. Welcome to you both. Uh, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Before we get into the meat of our conversation, could each of you share a little bit more about yourselves and your work? Claudia, let's start with you. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. Um, the Community Development Network is a, a statewide network of more than 180 organizations. Um, most of our organizations are community development corporations or organizations involved in housing and community development. Um, our We have members on the in Western Maryland, Eastern Shore, Southern Maryland, as well as Baltimore City. Um, I have been the executive director since 2020, uh, when Odette Ramos became city council person for the city of Baltimore, and I became executive director of Community Development Network. I'm so happy to be here today. Antonika, can you share a bit more about your background and how you came to focus on housing policy? Yes, sure, Kevin. Thanks for that question. So my uh, beginning in housing policy was kind of very a humble one. Um, it actually kind of came by accident, I should say. Um, initially, um, my you know my goal was to always go into nursing, kind of go into healthcare field like all the other women in my family. Um, however, like back in 2005, I applied for what's known as the Baltimore Mobility Program to apply for a voucher. Um, end up receiving that voucher and moving my family to um, Howard County, Maryland, where we still reside today. So within that transition, I kind of learned um, a lot of different things. I didn't know like the terms, like I didn't know the terms of health disparities and equity and all that stuff. I didn't know those terms, but I knew that I was experiencing something different. I knew that we had open green spaces. I knew that we had better quality supermarkets. I knew that my kids were coming home with brand new textbooks and iPads, stuff that I didn't have, you know, growing up in Baltimore City. Um, so during that time, I was already in junior college. So I started taking like all my prerequis prerequisites. I started making them public health classes. And from there, I kind of gained, uh, you know, kind of gained curiosity and that ended up changing my major from nursing to public health. Um, and then from there, I got my degree in 2012 and they got my master's in 2016. And I started working as a housing counselor on the front line. Um, 
And then eventually I started getting more curious about the policy side because I was doing a lot of volunteering and saying things and working on the front lines. I was saying things that still wasn't right. So I kind of decided I kind of want to get in with the advocates and kind of get more on the policy side of things. Tanika, what does the data tell us about the state of housing in Maryland and who is facing challenges right now? Yes. So um, right now the data is really saying that we're, you know, even before COVID, we had a housing crisis um, in a state. However, COVID just kind of worsened um, some of those numbers that we were already seeing. Um, just recently, the National the National Low Income Housing Coalition released a report saying that we are the ninth, um, you know, the ninth state as far as le- being least affordable for renters. Right. So that's really really um, startling considering, you know, how many states it is. And we're next to D.C. and the cost of living is extremely high. Um, the data also, sh- that report also showed that, um, you know, the average mother that had to make $29 essentially to be able to afford a two-bedroom apartment here. So it's really expensive. Um, and then looking at some of the other data, like I'm looking at the National Pulse Survey, um, even homeowners are struggling right now as well. Um, the housing market a lot of people can't afford homes, so it's kind of pushing them kind of further into the rental market, also making that more, you know, tighter. So it's like you can't buy a house, but then you also can't afford to rent because there's not a lot of rentals on a unit, right? So and then the landlords are jacking up those prices. So it's just, you know, it's just kind of bad for both blacks and whites right now overall. Claudia, as you said, the Community Development Network works with a lot of different organizations around the state that are working to create more affordable families and strengthen our communities. What would you add to this picture of what your members are seeing on the ground? Big question, but I'll try to be brief. Um, But what our members are seeing is that when families struggle to pay rent, they face greater risks of instability, eviction, and even homelessness, um, which is also linked to food insecurity, poor health, you know, poor educational attainment. Um, Housing really is at the nexus of so many of our challenges right now. Um, As you know, um, in the last two years, the state passed Kerwin. Um, That's a huge education for WIN. Um, And and with a lot of focus on the needs of poor children in Maryland. Um, But the educational apparatus can't do it all. We're also going to have to work in neighborhoods around those failing schools. Uh, it's not It's not the school building that's going to be able to do everything. Um, so it's a really important issue um, that we that folks are able to have safe housing. And homes are really the foundation of opportunity for all people. So we've really got to figure out ways. Uh, you know, we see this also play out in health. Uh, We see it play out in economic development. Um, Housing and wages are wildly out of sync right now. And we've got to figure out how we write that so that we can attract workers to our state. Uh, Businesses can um, form here and be sustainable here. Um, Right now, there's a lot of professions um, that our state needs, but there's not housing to match those needed jobs. And those are essential jobs. Um, We talk about lack of school bus drivers, for example. It's it's a huge issue for for most municipalities this uh, 
fall uh, that we're opening school. But when you think about what a school bus driver makes and where they can live, that's a, a significant challenge. So I think we just we have a lot of work to do. One of the things I love about this city, particularly Baltimore City, is that it's not necessarily a city of good and bad neighborhoods as much as it is good and bad blocks. You can go through a stop sign and the community changes immediately. But for literally decades now, where people live, who lives next door to them, has been an issue. And oftentimes we avoid it, but it centers on race. How is race continuing to plague housing in, in, in this city? Wow. I, I just, I think the disparities are real. I think what we see in terms of where, you know, it's like surgically you could cut up this city in a lot of ways. You know, we see small, we see very stable areas for three or four blocks and then maybe a block that's not doing so well. And I think that we see that particularly in, in, um, what Dr. Brown calls the black butterfly in those neighborhoods in the east and west of the city. Uh, we, the city has continued to invest in the uh, spine, you know, that, that uh, north-south and then going out to the southeast of the city with, with much less investment on the east and west, which, which were redline is redlining is certainly a a part of that right it's 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 the anchor of that um but it's it's even more complicated right it's it's we see it around schools and we see it around neighborhoods that have also not gotten attention with things like healthy neighborhoods or not gotten attention with um directed investment like it hasn't been a focus of the city um but i honestly i i i i've lived in Baltimore City now for more than 25 years and raised children here. And I I also have a lot of hope for this city. I I see young people and, and you know, young people, I, I think about seventh graders and I see hope there, right? I see uh, opportunity for them um, to not only own their house, but also be much, have much more opportunity and, and, and be entrepreneurs. I see a lot of entrepreneurial energy in the city right now. And I think that could really change the dy dynamic of some of those um, micro markets, right? People, people making a way where there is no way, you know? Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, but, but I think there are significant challenges around lending, around capital, and uh, in, in, in around housing. Hmm. Yeah, The Black Butterfly, I would definitely recommend that book, um, particularly for those who aren't familiar with the history of Levittown and what it has on housing. Um, and as we talk about the highway to nowhere here in Baltimore, all of those things impact housing. Um, as we've talked about on previous episodes, our state budget is an important tool for addressing our community's needs. However, as I understand it, housing is a little bit different because right now most of the funds come from the federal government. Claudia, can you talk about the different ways we're investing in housing assistance and in creating more housing that is affordable to low and moderate income families? Well, Kevin, I'm going to try to focus on right now where we are in um, pandemic recovery, because I think right now we're in a unique place um, and the state now has 
nearly a $2 billion surplus that was just uh, announced uh, by the controller a, a, a few days ago. Um, I think, first of all, housing and housing investments are expensive. Um, so subsidies are expensive. And I think we have to be honest about that, that, that it, the investment in housing costs a lot of money. And, but the governor, uh, the new governor, who, whoever they may be, could put $500 million towards affordable housing. And when I say $500 million towards affordable housing, I'm talking about things like rental relief. Uh, I'm talking about affordable housing production. Uh, the Maryland has an affordable housing trust fund, as well as tax relief for low and moderate income renters to help offset the costs of rent increases. So, you know, I think that the state has a role to play. They Obviously, they're not the federal government. Um, I, I think that the low-income housing tax credit program is effective, but it needs to be bigger, you know, and we need to figure out ways, strategies that make the pot bigger for subsidy uh, in the state of Maryland. But I think that the, the state has a real role to play. And the state also did a uh, study that came out in uh, 2020 and 2021. Um, and that report really showed that we, we had a shortage of 85,000 affordable housing units in the state of Maryland. So that's a significant, right? But putting it off only makes it more expensive. So my, my you know, advice is, hey, let's get started now. <laughs> let's, let's go. Let, let's, let's, I, I, I guess I would recommend that we keep, we invest those ARPA dollars in affordable housing uh, because this is a unique opportunity Let's take five hundred million of that that two billion dollars surplus and invest it in housing now because it only gets more expensive as we put it off. To add some additional context to that, Tanika, how does Maryland's commitment to affordable housing compare to what other states are doing? Again, looking at the data, I would say we are kind of at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, unfortunately, um, again, like just looking right now, 21 uh, percent of black Marylanders are currently behind their rent um, rental payments compared to just 15 percent of whites. We have 11 percent of black homeowners are currently behind in their mortgage compared to just 3 percent of, you know, white homeowners. Um, you know, and then looking at other reports like um, that do collect our data as far as like other companies like the Eviction Lab and other organizations that all of them have kind of Merlin kind of at the bottom when it comes to affordability and making things affordable for the most low-income vulnerable renters in Maryland right now. What would it look like for the state to make a more meaningful commitment to the tens of thousands of Maryland families struggling to find and keep housing they can afford? And are there particular changes that would help advance racial and economic justice? Yeah, sure. So the main important thing I think that could really help us get out of this hurdle is more federal funding, um, especially for housing choice vouchers. Um, right now, the National Low Income Housing Coalition is, you know, calling for Congress to ex expand funding uh, for more additional vouchers. Um, if they get the um, the amount of funding that they are requesting, that could be additional 200 to 300,000 households that can be helped um, 
They're asking for um, more funding for housing trust funds, um, as well as more funding for homeless assistance grants as well. Um, so I think the, sh the long term answer to that would be more federal funding. However, I do think, um, especially since now that we for the last couple of years, we had a budget surplus. I do think on a state level that there could be some more additional funding committed to housing as well. And Claudia, what would you add to that list? I think I would add uh, down payment and closing cost assistance in Maryland to that list. Um, I think uh, home ownership has been out of reach for higher income, middle income, uh, black and brown people in the state of Maryland. I think that this that particularly in high cost areas. Uh, the opportunities for people to move from uh, rents, which really have been very significant, uh, that you know, rents have gone up twenty to thirty percent in the last couple of years. Uh, some some of those families, with a little help and down payment and closing costs, could afford home ownership, uh, whether even if uh, a condo. Um, and I think though those. Uh, strategies really do get folks to another place, uh, maybe better school district, uh, moving into a place with greater opportunities. Uh, so I, I think that's where I'd start. Great. Quick question um, before we wrap up. Recently, there was legislation introduced to really sort of provide more knowledge um, to residents, um, to leaders, around what was happening with TIF dollars, tax incremental financing dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, many folks remember it from the Port Discovery uh, brouhaha several years ago. Of course, it's well on its way. You mean way. Port Covington? Port Covington, yes, yes, yes. Port Covington, thank you. And now that um, the, the bill was introduced, what does it say when that type of transparency is rejected? Wow. Well. Gosh, that's that's another show. That's a whole nother show, Kevin. That's a whole nother show. Well, I think in general, we have to question how our investment strategy has gone so far, right? It I think the idea was that it was doing good. It was it was it was creating more opportunity uh, in Maryland. But I think some of this analysis really shows that, we haven't necessarily expanded opportunities. When we look critically at where investment has gone in terms of geography, where it's gone in terms of population, where it's gone in terms of also, I think that there, there are real uh, conversations to be had about whether it's going towards children and families or whether it's going towards older adults, right? I, I think there are real questions here about who is benefiting from the investments being made. And I think the rejection of that transparency uh, is, you know, honestly, it's sad because uh, certainly taking, drilling down and seeing really who's benefiting says a lot about what our priorities are as a community. And so when we also are talking about other uh, entrenched problems like violence and poverty in our community, we have to look at these investment strategies to see whether they're actually creating opportunity or actually contributing to the entrenched problems that we have. Thank you both for those valuable insights. We're going to close out 
as we always do with today's action items, things you can do today to help build a stronger Maryland. I want to begin with you, Tanika. What would you recommend for any listeners who are interested in supporting efforts to increase investment in housing? So one, I would say to be sure they're signing up for um, our newsletters right on our website. I would also say to uh, reach out to their congressmen and local officials, letting them know um, basically their story, how they're struggling financially to be able to, for, to afford, whether it's rent, mortgage, um, and also reaching out to their congressmen as well. Um, they could also get involved with um, some local coalitions as well if they would like to tell their stories. We always need personal stories um, when we're uh, reaching out to council people. And Claudia, how about you? Uh, gosh, my list is long. Okay, so uh, the Community Development Network, our website is communitydevelopmentmd.org. You can certainly go on our website and, and look at the work that we do, become a member, uh, contribute to the work that we do. Um, the Community Development Network uh, is a state partner of the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, as is the Maryland Center for Economic Policy. Uh, so we have really also been working together um, with, a, with a, a large tent of organizations, including Renters United, uh, Maryland Public Justice Center, um, and, and others to lift up the challenges of renters across the state of Maryland. So we, we will continue to do that. Um, and I, I'm always happy to be invited on your show and to talk about this, these this work um, and the challenges of housing in the state of Maryland. Um, I think we also have to lift up the challenges. The challenges look different in uh, urban and Baltimore City versus suburban uh, Baltimore County and um, uh, rural Maryland, but they're they're more alike than they are different. Um, so I think that that's the other piece of this that. We also have to help to push back on folks who think that this is somebody else's problem. Um, this is not somebody else's problem. This is this is this is the people who work in our office. This is the the people in our families who are divorced and disabled and elderly. Um, this this is this is this problem touches everyone, and so we we really have to think about it as not someone else's problem or about someone else. Um, I think that also if we are a service economy, we, we've got to have places for service workers to live and work and have opportunity. Yeah, decent and affordable housing is something we should all agree on. Yes, Whether we're on absolutely. the Eastern Shore, Montgomery County, East West Baltimore, housing is a must. Yes. Um, and so I just want to stop and thank Tanika, Claudia, both of you for joining us on our podcast today. You can find podcasts, archives, and references from this episode at mdeconomy.org backslash policy dash lowdown. And while you're there, you can sign up for our email list where you can find Maryland Center on Economic Policy on Twitter at mdeconomy and also on Instagram at mdeconomy and mdeconomicpolicy on Facebook. Again, thank you all for joining us. See you next time. Those that will stand up, call our nation back toward justice and righteousness, are often bashed or, or labeled as socialist and unpatriotic. Many are labeled as instigators.
and wrap 